All of us are capable of drowning in shallow water. It is a very stupid thing to ever assume that you reach a place in your life that somehow or another you are exempt from or immune to doing that which is idiotic. Well, that's an interesting thought. Is it possible to drown in shallow water as it relates to our spiritual walk? What happens when we begin to reside apart from the fellowship and accountability of other believers? We'll take a look at that today on Living a Legacy. Welcome to the weekly Bible teaching of Crawford Loritz. Crawford has been in Christian ministry for over 50 years, serving as a pastor, conference speaker, seminary professor, and author. His books include Unshaken, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, and Leadership as an Identity. Crawford is now retired from church ministry, but for over 15 years served as the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. And that's where these weekly messages come from. He now heads the leadership mentoring program known as Beyond Our Generation. Well, today Crawford will take us to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 for the first part of his message titled, Don't Drown in Shallow Water. We'll learn that there's no room for a silo or individualistic mentality when it comes to living the Christian life. We need each other to help us be like Jesus. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here's Crawford Loritz on Living a Legacy. None of us controls anything. You don't control your life. You don't control what's on that next notification on your cell phone. We control absolutely nothing. This is a reason why life must be lived with an amazing amount of gratitude, grace, and holy intentionality. Anybody ever hear the name of Dr. Gardner Taylor? Dr. Gardner Taylor, he's with the Lord now, and I say this, uh, this is not hyperbole, Dr. Gardner Taylor was probably one of the top two, three greatest preachers of the last century and this century. Remarkable man. So this friend of mine, he was telling me that, uh, uh, now uh, Gardner Taylor is with the Lord, but a few years back, uh, this friend of mine said he was on a, on a flight and had the amazing privilege of sitting next to Gardner Taylor. And so he said, he said Crawford, I, I sat next to him and I just had so much to ask him and he was vibrant and this kind of thing. He was in his late 80s then. And so he said, I, I, I turned to him and I asked him, I said, now Dr. Taylor, um, this is a strange question, but I, I just want to ask you this. All the ways God's used in all the extraordinary, well, is there, is there anything that you're afraid of? What are you afraid of? And he said, Dr. Taylor said, there are three things that I'm afraid of, and quite frankly, I can't remember the third thing, but I do remember the two things. He said, the first thing is that, you know, frankly, I'm afraid of outliving my mourners. So at this stage of my life, I, you know, I hope somebody's going to be there at my funeral, which was an understatement. It was flooded. But, and he said, secondly, I'm afraid, now get this, he said, I'm afraid of drowning in shallow water. He said, what do you mean by that? And then he began to explain that. He said, after all these years of God's goodness to me, after his supernatural intervention in my life, after the way that God has used me in significant ways, after his blessing and favor in my life, 
I'm afraid that somehow or another my pride will make me feel entitled. And in the feeling of being entitled, I will do something very stupid that I should have known better. Thus, I will have drowned in shallow water. All of us are capable of drowning in shallow water. It is a very stupid thing to ever assume that you reach a place in your life or in your, quote, maturity, that somehow or another you are exempt from or immune to or somehow cushioned from doing that which is idiotic. We are all capable of that. And I love that description of drowning in shallow water. And actually, the Apostle Paul basically said the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He basically said the same thing. Listen to these verses beginning at verse 24. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. In other words, he says, there is a payoff in life. There is a place at which you're headed toward. It better be the right place. Run to obtain the prize. He says in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. It's a trophy down here. It's a wreath that's going to fade away. But we, an imperishable, that's what he means by running to win. We're running not, not to receive what this life can give us. Hear me, hear me. We do not live to get what this life can give us. We do not live to get what this life can give us. The payoff has never been this life. The payoff has never been money or cars or whatever or status. That's never been the payoff. The payoff has always been that which is imperishable, that which is eternal. And because of that payoff, it motivates me to live a life that focuses upon that which does not fade away. So therefore, he says in verse 20, 26, so I, I, I do not run aimlessly. In other words, I live life with great intentionality. I don't flitter it away. I don't sidebar it. I don't go on these little ancillary parentheses journeys here. I sit down and I look at my life and I look at my behavior and I look at my choices and I look at my decisions and I answer the question, how will this choice, how will this decision, how will this behavior keep me going toward that eternal prize? So I don't do it aimlessly. Um, and this uses another metaphor. I do not box as one beating the air. I make my shots and my punches matter. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. He says, I'm not compulsive and I'm not random and I'm not held hostage to do what the current impulse dictates that I do. If you do that, you're guaranteed to waste your life. So I, I pull my body, meaning my impulses and all the random stuff that I'd like to do but won't help me to get there. I pull it in. I pull it in. And then you have this whole line. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified, meaning 
after I've preached to others, I end up drowning in shallow water. And it can happen to any of us. It can happen to any of us. Now, what's the point of the day? And I want you to indulge me here because I'm going to be a little swampish in, in, in what I have to say here and what's on my heart. Uh, one of the reasons why I wanted the generations to be together is for us to understand what we need to celebrate together, and I'm going to say something about that in a second. But I'm going to ask everyone who was born before 1946 to stand up. If you were born before 1946, please stand. Now, I know we got a few more than that in here. I just, yeah, okay, there you go. Yes, yeah, you applaud these people. All right, and I want all, all, all my baby boomers, now don't lie, all my baby boomers, those born between 1946 and some say early 60s, will you stand? These are the boomers here. Thank God for the boomers. There you go. All right. Now, I want all my Gen Xers to stand. That's a generation after the boomers. Now, I saw some of you calling yourself Gen Xers, but I know you're boomers. Uh, I want you to stand. All the Gen Xers here. Here you go. All right. Now, here, here you have, I want the millennials to stand. All the millennials, please stand. Come on, millennials. I know you're in the house here. And here's what I want to say to all the millennials. I thank you for sticking around today. That's what I just want to thank you for that. And uh, the Gen Z, those after the millennials, will you stand? Right. There you go. And if you don't know what you are, stand. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we, we desperately need each other. And so here, here's the flow. The point that I want to make today is this. My burden is that the lack of substance and the celebration of the transient and superficial is pulling us away from what matters most. Hear me, hear me on this. I, I have become increasingly nervous over the last 10, 15 years. We're celebrating the insignificant. We're celebrating the transactional. And we're defining ourselves based upon how people respond to us rather than what we should be. And so, so the lack of substance and the celebration of the transient and superficial is pulling us away from what matters most. And I find that also in our churches where we're coddling people and only giving them a diet of what they want to eat and what they want to absorb rather than that which is substantive and the stuff that will see us through. And we're alienating ourselves and isolating ourselves and building generational silos guaranteed, guaranteed to institutionalize insignificance, loneliness, low self-esteem, and the lack of productivity. We're doing that all over the place. And we're at an extremely dangerous place in our culture. So decisions are being made based upon response, not necessarily based upon that which is substantive. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do? 
Let me give you a skeleton outline, and I'll put something in it just to, just to let you know where these random thoughts are going. The first thing that I think we need to do is step back and gain perspective. Step back and gain perspective. The second thing that we need to do, and I'll explain this a little bit later, is that we need to somehow or another embrace and cherish, and I'll put quotes around it, the gifts. And I'll explain what I mean by that later. And the third thing that we need to do is that we need to stay connected. Fight to stay generationally connected. The first thing that we need to do is step back and gain perspective. All of us need to think about our life and not just about today or the immediate future. We need to think destination, then journey. Hear me. Hear this distinction. Hear this distinction. We need to think destination and not journey. We need to think destination rather than journey, but not journey first and then destination. There is a destination at which all of us need to arrive. There is an anchor expression that all of us need to hold on to. And I would argue throughout the pages of Scripture, particularly the New Testament, the destination at which all of us need to arrive in this life is Christ-likeness. That is the destination. It is not your profession primarily. It is not what you want to do in life. It's not your friends. It's not these other things. The destination that all of us need to arrive at is Christ-likeness. And so we need to choose a journey that will accelerate us getting to that destination, but not putting it around the other way. We cannot make, we cannot make uh, the incremental points the destination for our lives. So we need to think about our lives in terms of the mission of God in the world and who and what I am to look like. Now, having said that, I, I, I want to give us four planks of perspective. Number one is this. We have to keep in mind, be conscious of this, and that is that pride and ignoring our weaknesses makes us vulnerable. Pride and ignoring our weaknesses makes us vulnerable. We need to always remember that we constantly need to fight pride. And anybody that ever tells you they don't struggle with pride has horrible, horrible insights into themselves. There's not a person living that does not struggle with pride. Pride is the homepage of sin. And we need to be aware of the fact that pride is not a good thing. Be consciously aware of the fact that pride is there, but you also need, and I know this is counterintuitive because everybody's selling you this sort of vanilla Kool-Aid nonsense. Now, no, no, don't talk so much about weaknesses. No, we need, you, need to, you need to keep in mind of your weakness. You better, you better know what's going to ambush you. You need to be cognizant of the fact of what your temptations are. What are your weaknesses? So that we, we, we go through life. And by the way, by the way, knowing how pride can ambush me and what my weaknesses are keeps me in a place where I keep pressing into Jesus and I keep pressing into Christ's likeness. The second plank of perspective that I would say is that understand that disconnectedness and isolation limits perspective and distorts reality. We were made for community. We're made for community. 
Nothing good ever happens with any of us when we're isolated and when we're disconnected. Now, I know I've said this up here before. Uh, I'm pretty much an open book, and it's hard for people to believe this about me, but it's really true. I am an introvert who loves people. But the way that I get my energy, I don't get my energy from being around people. Honestly, I don't. I love people, but I don't get my energy from being around people. I mean, when I go places to speak and this kind of thing, I tell them, oh, don't overhandle me. I don't need the key to the city. I don't need to go to this meeting. I don't need to be around a bunch of... I don't need that. I don't. Give me a book. Give me my prayer journal and maybe the remote and leave me alone. <laughs> okay, I'm cool. I'm cool. But all of us need to understand that we were never meant to live life by ourselves. And when we're not connected to one another, when we are isolated, we will have some crazy conclusions. God gave us community in order to balance our perspective and in order to balance our lives. And we need one another. And by the way, this is a little theological pet peeve that I have here. In the West, we have, we have uh, uh, individualized statements in the Bible that was meant to be given to community. What do you mean by that? Now, this is not a bunny trail here because it underscores what I'm trying to say here. For example, I mean, I just, I just tweeted out this morning uh, a little something from, uh, you know, and I, and, I, and I quoted, I cited first, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, and I know we, we, a lot of us say this, uh, being confident of this very thing that who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We personalize that. However, did you know in that text, that's not to be personalized, that's plural. He's talking about the church at Philippi, and, and the one who began the work there, the church of Philippi, will cause that work to flourish. Well, we go over to chapter 2, uh, work of salvation with fear and trembling for the one who's at work in you, it's, you know, the, it's the will and the do of his good pleasure. We individualize that. However, in context, he's not talking about an individual. He's talking about the testimony and the work of God there at the church of Philippi. But here in the West, everything is hyper-individualized. However, in the scriptures, our sanctification is more connected to community. It's connected to one another. If God is your Father, Jesus is your Savior, you need your brothers and sisters in Jesus of various backgrounds and generations to help us to be like Jesus. And when we get isolated and disconnected from one another, we, we, we fall into some distorted thinking. Third plank. Success can be the breeding ground for self-deception and the lack of accountability. Crawford, are you down on success? No, I'm not down on success. But at this stage in my life, I have to tell you, it is really true. Few people can handle success in a grounded way. A lot more of us can handle adversity and failure. And you always have to be careful. The unbridled pursuit of success that's disconnected and untethered to Christ's likeness will lead to a sense of entitlement and cause you to live and think you, you actually think you're, you're as good as the way God blessed you, which is stupid. None of us are as good as the blessing of God on our lives. None of us are. None of us are. And so I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't pursue success. Yeah, be successful, but understand the more success and accomplishment that you have, you ought to increase in gratitude and it ought to be pushed further and further away from your identity. The gratitude should be up here. 
Because if you don't, what will end up happening is this whole comparison thing. And not only that, you start doing stuff because you can. Because you actually think, well, look at my resume, look at my background, look at what I've accomplished, look at all this stuff that's going on. Who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to say something about me? Haven't you read what I've accomplished? That's not a statement of your value, it's just a statement of what you accomplished. It's not a statement of your worth. No, it's only a statement of what God did through you. Don't own what God does through you. You own Christ's likeness. And the fourth uh, plank of this perspective, you got to be careful. Disappointment, discouragement, and pain can lead to an unhealthy self-protection. Let me say it another way. Disappointment, discouragement, and pain are part of life. They're part of life. You can't run from it. You can't hide from it. uh, You can't wish it away. It is a part of life. The issue is, what are you going to do with the disappointment? What are you going to do with the discouragement? What are you going to do with the pain? And you got to be careful. You have to handle disappointment. You have to handle discouragement. And you have to handle pain the right way. You're not going to get away from it. That, that should not even be in your head. You're not going to get away from it. You're not going to get away from it. I can't, we, we, we couldn't get away from our, our, our niece who's brain dead. You're not going to get away from it. It is going to happen. The issue is, what does that do to me? Does it cause me to shrink back? Do I cave into it? Do I become, in an unhealthy way, unduly introspective? Does it make me depressed? That's not healthy. But you have to understand that all of this is a part of the reality of life. So the very first thing we need to do, and this, there could be 15 more things I could have said there, the very first thing that we do, we need to do is we look at our lives and we look at the long trajectories that you sit back and you gain a little bit of perspective. What is always true about life? What will guard me? What will protect me? The second thing that we need to do is, uh, is that we need to cherish the gifts. And Crawford will explain what he means by this second point of cherishing the gifts when we return next week with the second part of the message, Don't Drown in Shallow Water. If you joined us midway through today's message, you can hear all of it on our website, livingalegacy.org, or stream it on your platform of choice, livingalegacy.org. We're so grateful for your emails. Here's a recent one from Derek. Hello, and I thank God for your ministry. I caught one of Crawford's sermons on a Saturday night while coming home from service at my church here in St. Louis. The message was on faithfulness. God gave me more clarity and understanding about faithfulness, particularly as it relates to my role as deacon in my church. It came at the perfect time. God bless. Well, thank you so much, Derek, and glad Crawford's message was helpful. Many of you join us each week, but have never taken the time to write to us. Your correspondence helps us know that this program is meeting needs on this station. So connect with us soon. Write to legacyatmoody.edu. Legacyatmoody.edu. It would be a tremendous encouragement to hear from you this week. You can download Crawford's messages for free. Look for the MP3 link on our website, livingalegacy.org. 
Jasper Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for being part of our study today. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.